0: Good evening, the United States mandates tests for vaccines uh, for big companies, war rages in Ethiopia. COP26 and the end of coal. Opposition grows to Rahm Emanuel, and Pelosi says both bills will pass. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. Under rules issued today by the Biden administration, tens of millions of Americans who work at companies with 100 or more employees will need to be fully vaccinated against COVID 19 by January 4th or get tested for the virus weekly. If successful, administration officials believe it'll go go a long way towards ending a pandemic that's killed more than 750,000 Americans. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration regulations will force the companies to require that unvaccinated workers test negative for COVID-19 at least once a week and wear a mask while in the workplace. OSHA left open the possibility of expanding the requirement to smaller businesses if asked for public comment. It asked for public comment on whether employers with fewer than 100 employees should handle vaccination or testing programs. Meanwhile, during testimony on the pandemic at a Senate health committee, GOP Senator Rand Paul had another run in with Dr. Anthony Fauci on the alleged role of the Centers for Disease Control in funding a lab in Wuhan, China, that's been connected to the beginnings of the virus.
1: You made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You proved it in August of last year. No, no, your, your statement says, quote, I wrote it down as you were writing, you continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You we were in committee a month ago Which, and said Senator, you still on, trust wait, the
0: wait. Chinese
2: scientists and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator
3: Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him... If he's going to be dishonest,
2: he ought to be challenged. S-
3: Senator Paul, we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci.
1: Well, I don't have any more to say except he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you. Thank History you. will figure that out
0: on its own. So
3: we will turn to Senator Hassan. Thank you.
0: Meanwhile, Senate Republicans have opposed any vaccine or mask mandates. Several corporate groups, including the Business Roundtable, endorsed the mandate, however. Retail groups worry, though, that the requirements could disrupt their operations during the critical Christmas shopping period. Retailers and others also say it could worsen supply chain disruptions. The National Retail Federation suggested the new rules are not needed because the rolling average number of new daily cases in the United States has fallen by more than half since September. The seven-day moving average which is down 6% from two weeks ago at more than 76,000 new cases and 1,200 deaths per day. And Ethiopia's government marked a year of war by lashing out today in response to international alarm about hate speech, comparing the rival Tigray forces to a rat that st- strays far from its hole and saying the country is close to burying the evil forces. The statement from the government communication service posted on social media and confirmed by a government spokesperson came amidst urgent new efforts to calm the escalating war as a U.S. special envoy arrived and the president of neighboring Kenya and others call for immediate ceasefire. State Department spokesperson Ned Price told reporters today that we are speaking as starkly as we can in urging United States citizens to leave the country.
2: In terms of Ethiopia, look, um, we, are, we are not uh, in the habit of offering military assessments or tactical assessments from the podium. What we have said is that we are concerned by the expansion of the conflict by the expansion of the fighting from Tigray and into surrounding areas. Of course, public accounts have spoken to the advance of the TPLF and the OLA and their allies, including towards the capital city. That is in part why we have urged in no uncertain terms American citizens to make arrangements to leave the country using the commercial options that remain available uh, in and out of the capital city uh, of Addis Ababa. It's also why uh, we have um, underscored the need and the imperative for all parties to the conflict, the TPLF, the Ethiopian government, the OLA and others, uh, to engage uh, in negotiations towards a ceasefire immediately and without preconditions.
0: And as Ned Price from the State Department. U.S. Special Envoy Jeffrey Feltman who this week insisted there are many, many ways to initiate discrete talks towards peace, met today with Ethiopia's Deputy Prime Minister and Ministers of Defense and Finance. His visit continues tomorrow. And in Scotland, at COP26, the world's leading financial investors and institutions met to talk about how they can help provide the money to combat climate change. WBAI's Doug Wood reports. Money, money, money.
4: Today at COP26, it was all about the money who has it, who needs it, and how, when, and under what conditions those who have it will make it available to those who need it. The estimated cost of the worldwide effort to keep our planet viable is over $100 trillion, according to Peter McKillop, former managing director at the investment firm BlackRock and now head of Climate and Capital Media. He sees a major transformation coming as private capital begins to invest in climate change. We are seeing the greatest transformation of an economy and and the greatest allocation of capital, probably in the history of mankind. The caveat that we have to understand here is that these are at the moment just promises and commitments. They've all committed. Everyone is committed. But these are commitments. And these are also commitments that are only really going to start until 2030. The good news is that when we started this two and a half years ago, no one was talking about this. So there's an entire kind of financial infrastructure that's going into place. McKillop quoted his former boss, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, as saying that the next 1,000 billionaires will be those who are investing in climate tech. Government subsidies were part of the discussion today, as various speakers noted that such subsidies are still one of the major roadblocks to making real progress on climate change. Kingsman Bond, head of Carbon Tracker Initiative, says not only does it not make sense, but there's a real economic cost that no one is really considering. It is totally incoherent. We have a climate crisis and we're still subsidizing the industry, which is causing the crisis. I mean, it's completely dumb. I'm a finance guy. It makes no sense whatsoever. So basically, it's about $500 billion a year of what they call explicit subsidies. That is to say, you pay less for your petrol than cost the government to buy it for you. And then that would be called the implicit subsidies, which is the cost of local healthcare. That's the 8 million people a year dying of fossil fuel related diseases such as cancer and heart failure and so on and furthermore the global warming uh, costs which they calculate the the fires and floods and all the many disastrous consequences of global warming. Anyway, they add it all up, it adds up to about five or six trillion dollars. Also today more than 40 countries committed to a timeline phase out of the dirtiest of the fossil fuels that cause global warming coal. Major coal-using countries, including Poland, Vietnam, and Chile, are among those to make the commitment. But some of the world's biggest coal-dependent countries, including China, India, and the United States, did not sign up. Outside the main hall, Lewis Pugh, long-distance swimmer, ocean advocate, and UN patron of the seas, is like many observers of COP26, worried that things are taking way too long to happen. He's been trying to raise awareness of the plight of our oceans by conducting his long-distance swimming events in the ice-cold water surrounding our rapidly melting glaciers. I'm very, very worried. I couldn't put it
0: at a higher level. When I did my first swim in the Arctic, I swam on the edge of the Antarctic ice packs. The water there at the time was three degrees. I went back there recently. It's no longer three degrees. It's now 10 degrees centigrade. That's the speed at which that warming is occurring. And so my message here for world leaders is commitment is important. Getting consensus is important. Getting long-term targets are important. But even more important is taking action today. We need stuff happening right now. And we need all hands on deck to solve this crisis.
4: Lewis Pugh is also the author of the best-selling book Achieving the Impossible, which is exactly what we need to do if we expect to save our planet for future generations. For WBAI News, this is Doug Wood in New York.
0: President of COP26 uh, COP26 is Alec Sharam. He says the era of coal is coming to an end. Coal, a fossil fuel closely linked to greenhouse gas emissions, is widely used by many nations across the world, including China and India, both growing economic powers and major greenhouse gas emitters. A 190-strong
4: coalition has today agreed to phase out coal power and end support for new
0: coal power plants. I think we can say with confidence that coal is no longer king. The end of coal is in sight. The United States remains the world's single largest greenhouse gas-emitting nation uh, through massive uh, result reliance on fossil fuels for transportation and fracking of natural gas. Uh, that is going on throughout the country and it's a huge emitter of methane and other gases. And in more national news, a juror was dismissed in Kyle Rittenhouse's homicide trial today after he told a joke to a deputy earlier in the week about the police shooting of Jacob Blake. The incident occurred when a male juror made a joke about the shooting while being escorted to his car. Judge Bruce Schroeder said,
1: I was told that uh, while you were being escorted to the car uh, the other day, that you uh, began to tell a joke um, about the shooting of Jacob Blake. And I wanted to see if, is that accurate or not? Not, it is. It is clear that the appearance of bias is present. And it would seriously undermine the the, uh, outcome of the case. All right, I think uh, the best thing out of the circumstances, I'm going to dismiss you from the jury, sir. And we do thank you for taking the time to come down here. Thank you. Uh, my feelings is that it was nothing to do with the case. It, it, it wasn't anything to do with Kyle and his it, seven charges? At the, at the very most, it, it, was a, it was bad judgment to tell a joke of that nature. Okay, so that's, okay, thank you very much, sir.
0: And that's the judge in the case, Bruce Schroeder. Kenosha County Assistant District Attorney Thomas Binger took particular issue with the incident. He says the joke is in bad taste. There are a plethora of bad jokes out there with everything to do with all this. This is one of them. But I think the rest of this joke, as it were, suggests some sort of racial bias, which I think comes into play. And on Wednesday, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee voted to advance former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's nomination as the United States ambassador to Japan. Two Democrats voted no, but were offset by the Biden administration securing the backing of Republicans on the committee. The nomination now moves to the full Senate. Progressive Senators Jeff Merkley of Oregon and Edward Markey of Massachusetts asked to be recorded as no votes on Emmanuel as the committee took a single vote to approve 14 ambassador nominations at once. Community activist Delmari Cobb from Chicago joins WBAI. She says after the killing of Laquan McDonald, a black teenager in 2014 by Chicago police, then Mayor Emmanuel, tried to cover it up.
3: He never was a progressive. Um, He was a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, masquerading as a progressive. And because he was in the Barack Obama administration, African-Americans in Chicago gave him the benefit of the doubt. Most African-Americans didn't know who he was, even though he had been a congressman here. Uh, he, because he had never spoken out on any issues or taken any stands that were in favor of black and brown people. But because of his relationship oh, with Barack Obama, they thought he would be, you know, able to bring resources back to the black community.
0: What actually happened?
3: He actually took resources from the black community is what he did. The first thing he did, one of the first things he did, he closed 50, schools in chicago the largest school closing in the united states the second thing he did was he closed half of the city's mental health clinics in black and brown communities he got rid of a an organization called cease fire that had been very successful in getting rid of or addressing violence in black and brown communities because they looked at violence as a health issue And as you see now, many people are now saying that's what violence is. It's a health issue. He didn't invest in black communities. He invested millions and millions in TIF money in white communities. TIFs are called incremental financing. And what they do is it's a way of taking money from one community in terms of sales taxes so you put a freeze on the sales taxes for 25 years and those taxes go into a fund and then that fund is meant to incentivize developers to come to blighted communities. What Rahm Emanuel did was actually use those funds tax incremental financing funds as a slush fund for his pet projects.
0: Laquan McDonald, what happened there and what was his role?
3: What happened there is that he was running for re-election against Jesus Chui Garcia, who's now a congressman. He certainly wasn't as well-known in the black community as Rahm Emanuel. And Rahm was forced into a runoff against him. The incident with Laquan McDonald happened in October 2014, And the public at large didn't learn about it until five days after Rahm Emanuel won the election, re-election. Many believe that he kept the tape and the, the knowledge of that incident quiet until after the election. And if it hadn't been for a couple of enterprising journalists and activists, we would have never found out what really happened to Laquan McDonald that night when a white police officer, shot the 17-year-old 16 times within six seconds of arriving on the scene. But the narrative from the police was that Laquan McDonald was lunging at the police officer and he shot him in self-defense.
0: Why shouldn't Ron McDonald be ambassador to Japan?
3: Because this is a national issue. It's not just a local issue. The national issue is you can't, on the one hand, say that you are for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And then elevate a person who was a failed mayor and allow him to rehabilitate his reputation so he can run again later down the road when he is the face of a police cover-up and a police murder. This goes on every day in America. You cannot have someone who is not only is he the face, but he was complicit five days after the election and asked the Finance Committee to give the mother of Laquan McDonald $5 million before any legal action was initiated and say – The reason I'm coming to you now is because if this goes to court, it will probably cost the city more. It's all about him, and that's what his administration was about. The fact that he could be so callous as to close mental health clinics. Who needs more mental health care than communities that are underemployed, underserved, and under siege?
0: And that's Mary Cobb. She is a activist, community activist in Chicago. Senator Merkley issued a statement after his vote. He said, I have carefully considered Mayor Emanuel's record and the input of civil rights leaders, criminal justice experts, and local elected officials who have reached out to the Senate to weigh in, and I have reached the decision that I cannot support his nomination to serve as United States ambassador. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Rienzo In local news, Sergeant Kizzy Adonis, the only NYPD officer besides Daniel Pantaleo, Pantaleo hit with department charges in connection with the July 2014 killing of Eric Garner, is still unclear as to why she was disciplined. So is the judge presiding over an inquest into the Staten Island man's death. That's Justice Erica Edwards. The judicial inquiry entered a seventh day today. During the questioning, an officer who investigated the killing into. Uh, uh, of garner for the nypd said he thought the arrest was proper although daniel pantalone who was eventually fired about five years later was put on modified duty afterwards during an afternoon break in the hearings the co-chair of the justice committee de cologne and eric garner's mother gwen carr analyzed the proceedings
5: tony made today by lieutenant gasquez and prior testimony made by Deputy Chief Resnick and other NYPD officers once again proved that the scope of the judicial inquiry as it was determined by Judge Joan Manning cannot be met without petitioners being able to question members of the NYPD's Department Advocates Office, the DAO. The Department of the NYPD that charges, negotiates discipline, and prosecutes cops. The same department of the NYPD that chose not to discipline any of the officers that engaged in misconduct, aside from Sergeant Adonis losing a few vacation days. A man's life was taken. She lost a few vacation days. Judge Erica Edwards' decision not to compel Deputy Commissioner Kevin Richardson, another high level NYPD, to testify prevents the ability of the full scope of the judicial inquiry to be investigated, and we hope she reconsiders. Today, we heard NYPD Lieutenant Gasquez say that the NYPD searched their database for Eric Gardner's sealed records, and the very next morning, Eric Gardner's sealed records and medical information were illegally leaked to the world. But why would NYPD investigate something illegal that they know they did? Today, we also heard Lieutenant G- Gasquez use the tired NYPD talking point lie that it was a drop down menu accident that caused Eric Garner to be charged with the felony. And yes, I call it a lie. And I call it a lie because NYPD officer, Justin D'Amico hand wrote, a false felony charge on a piece of paper prior to ever clicking a drop-down menu in their system. Officer D'Amico falsely charged Eric Gardner with the same false felony charge twice. I'm now going to call up our next speaker, um, Eric Gardner's mother, Gwen Carr.
6: We've heard since yesterday, we heard from Kovic, uh, Kovic, Adonis, gas test today, and there's just been lie after lie after lie. One is covering for the other. And in Adana's case, why was she the only officer who was disciplined? And Samanat was the first one on the scene. Although she was just as callous as Samanat not excusing her, but why is she the only officer who was disciplined? And her disciplinary uh, action was only vacation days. What is a vacation day in comparison to my son's life?
0: And that was Gwen Carr, the mother of Eric Garner. Judge Edwards has turned down requests from Garner's family to call in top police officials and Mayor Bill de Blasio to testify. Judicial inquiries are a rare event in New York, buried in the city charter. The last hearing was held a century ago. The judicial inquiry is only informational, and no findings, charges, or punishments can result. And Democratic uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy narrowly won re-election in an unexpectedly close race. He fended off an election challenge from a Republican, former state lawmaker, Jack Citarelli. Uh, his return showed uh, yesterday, a day after voting, ended an unexpected nail biter for the incumbent. But that didn't take away the joy of the victory speech that he gave after learning he had won.
2: Well, to be the first Democratic governor reelected in the great state of New Jersey,
0: since my dear friend, the late Governor Brendan Byrne, did this in
2: 1977. Thank you, New Jersey. Thank you for
1: putting your trust in our team for another four years. If you want to understand where
0: America is heading, look to New Jersey. And if you want to be governor of all of New Jersey, you must
2: listen to all of New Jersey. And New Jersey, I hear you.
0: And that was Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey's victory speech on official returns cited by various newspapers and other media outlets pronounced the victory for Murphy, showing him clinching 50.03 percent of the vote compared to 49.22 percent for Citarelli, with 90 percent of the ballots counted. Um, And that's some of the news for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Richie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.